Wow. Jesus, we are dependent upon you in every way in life. And you have our utmost attention. Secure it deeper, greater, more than it ever has been before. And we want to be a people who you can live your life through, you can work through, that you can bring about your will in the earth today. And we want to be those people. We're praying right now, but we want to be the answer to your prayers in the sense of a vehicle or a catalyst that you can work through. So we just open up our hearts and our minds and we say, Lord, your word, let it be active in living in us and do the work that it needs to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. We live in, as we know, probably the most historically free nation ever to exist. And we also are aware that over decades and but just we can look back at history and we see the continual erosion of those rights and those freedoms that others have sacrificed and fought for. There's a lot of questions today. For instance, what is going on in the Middle East? Uh, what's going to happen to stabilize or destabilize all the activity amongst, you know, we just, if, you, if you're in the news and looking at things, you know, we just have, uh, we have a, a real contrast in views. We have President Obama saying, hey, this is really good. We've got this agreement together with six world powers to limit Iran's nuclear ability and ability to enrich and all this, and so there's, Iran is saying we're going to limit those things in order that you guys would remove the sanctions that you placed on us. I don't know if you follow history, but that should sound familiar with Russia behind the Iron Curtain and all the things, and they would feign, you know, uh, agreement and compliance for a little while, and uh, in order to get aid from the West and and all that and. You have Netanyahu in Israel saying this is going to be disastrous. There's so many questions. Because other parts of the world, how we're so connected globally, it's like what other people do affects everyone else. And that's true in our own lives. What we do affects others. What kind of world are my children going to grow up in? Levi's not married, but I'm sure he's asking that question at some point in time. Way to go, Levi. Anybody? Anybody asking that question for your grandkids? What, what, what kind of world are my kids going to grow up in, my grandkids? My dad and I had a lot of those types of conversations. What do I do when I've things that I have counted on for years and years, and now things are shifting? feels like the, the rug's being pulled out from underneath my feet or, or whatever. It could be a job situation you thought was going to be there. I was just talking with somebody recently and you know they were, they were saying, man, things were going great. And, and all of a sudden, I'm, 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 I'm faced with, uh, you're done, pack up your stuff and uh, peace out. Good luck. Things are being shaken. What about relationships that we've counted on? What do we do when those relationships are tested? Marriages are tested. Parent-child relationships are tested. Not talking about anything new, just highlighting this is, this is where things are at. And lots of things are being shaken. Whatever is, can be shaken is being shaken. So how do we respond? We hunker down? Do we wait it out? Do we go hide in a corner somewhere? No, Mom, that's not the answer. <laughs> she was, of course, just teasing. 
You were teasing, right, Mom? Oh, that does sound like a really good idea sometimes, though, doesn't it? I'm just going to go hide and just ride this one out and wait till the storm passes. Second Timothy, excuse me, First Timothy, chapter six. Pursue a godly life, verse 11, second part, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for what we believe. Hold tightly. Grasp. Get a hold of it. Cling to it. Hold tightly to the eternal life that God has given you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. Fight the good fight for what we believe. Who's talking here? This is a letter written to Timothy. Who's talking? Paul. Spiritual father to Timothy. He said, man, this is not the time to hunker down. This is not the time to just ride things out. It's time to engage in a new way. Fight the good fight. This word fight means persevering in the face of temptation and opposition. It means to wrestle, to strain every muscle toward the goal. And I would say, I would say in there, every muscle, spirit muscle, emotional muscle, bodily muscle, toward the goal. It's like, really? That doesn't sound very Christianly. Well, we've adopted sometimes a new version, a contemporary version of Christianity. One that I believe is soft. It doesn't endure hardship very well. It doesn't mean we're just, oh, everything's fine. That's not it at all. That's not what we're talking about. You know, it, it frustrates me sometimes to listen to, for instance, Christian radio, Christian talk radio or something. And you just, you know, the, the world is, is, is going to hell. That You've got all these things going on in the world and they're just like, you know, going along preaching sermons. It doesn't have anything to do with what's happening in the world. Uh, we're not addressing the different issues that we're facing. It's just kind of like we just relegated ourselves to the sidelines and we're just going to sit this one out and hunker down. I believe that this day and age requires a different breed of Christian. Not a new one. What I'm talking about is going back to an old one. An old breed. The original call that was on different ones. Like Paul was saying, he knew what was going on. This is Paul. He's writing from prison. Things were not going well for him. And he's saying, listen, you're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. This word in the Greek... I'm not going to, well, I'll try and pronounce it. Agonizomai. You can hear the agony. agony. It means to agonize. You're going to have to agonize in this fight of faith. It's going to require true grit. Moxie. Some juice from Christians. Let's look at some moxie portions of Scripture. We just looked at them this morning. Philippians chapter 4. We read it together. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Why? Because life has a tendency to hit the fan, doesn't it? It does. It does. That's what I want to talk to us about this morning. When life hits the fan, or subtitle, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. But when life hits the fan, be full of joy always. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. I want you to notice that. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Yeah, that was 2,000 years ago. Is He here yet? 
No, he's posturing him with a perspective. We'll hit that in a moment. Don't worry about anything. He didn't say ignore it. He said don't worry about it. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard, will stand like a sentinel over your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts. Fix them. Fix them. Fix your thoughts. Think about this. Think about your thoughts, your brain, your mind fixing itself, reaching out with these claws, grabbing a hold of these different words. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what's honorable, what is right. That is tough to do. I coach sixth graders, so I know it's tough. My goodness. Like, okay, guys, we got to let's work on this play. And immediately, as soon as you start to talk to sixth graders, what do they do? They want to look at everything that's around the room. I mean, I got guys turning around, looking the other way. Walk. I'm going, what in the world is going on here? And so we have this thing and we say, soldier, soldier. And they all know, get attention. They all stand there and some of them are, you know, messing with me a little bit, doing the little salute. But soldier, fix your my, your eyes on me right now. Then about five seconds later, I have to do it again. Soldier! <laughs> Why? Because I'm getting distracted, coach. There's so many neat things to look at in this gymnasium. Oh my goodness. Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned from me and heard from me and saw me doing, and the God of peace will be with you. I love that. What you see me doing, what you've heard me doing, what you've been uh, observing, all those things when we are together, don't forget them. They're going to be so important for the future. You're going to have to fix your mind, your heart on those things. Lock in. Lock in. Happiness, we know, is circumstantial. It's, it's dependent. You know, I'm happy because things are going good right now. But that's not what we're after. We're after a joy that transcends, that goes beyond whatever the circumstances are that we're facing at the time. What if you lost all your FWPs? Remember we watched the video last week? And technically, it wouldn't be losing all your FWs. It stands for first world problems, right? But if, what if you lost all your first world amenities? Your FWAs? Your technology? What would you do? What happens if your shelter goes bye-bye and you don't have that? Have you ever thought about what you'd have? Again, we've always thought we had these things. I don't think the Depression era thought that all those things were going to go away. I don't think they thought they were going to have to stand in food lines. Guess we're talking about less than a hundred years ago. They, I don't think they saw that coming. They didn't see world wars, let alone two of them. They thought this was the war to end all wars. We're not. This is. There's, we've learned from this. This is not going to happen. We now have a perspective that would keep us... And it, they repeated the exact same thing and then some. What if Obamacare costs you double, triple what you've been paying already for health care? I mean, we're all sitting here waiting, seeing what's going to happen, Right? And he goes through this progression of rejoicing always. Let people see it. Don't worry about anything. Fix your mind, your heart. Because no matter what comes, just keep your mind and heart fixed on Jesus in a good fight kind of way is going to be absolutely imperative. 
What do we say in these types of situations? Take it way back to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. We have a situation coming up. There are two kings that are facing a very unpredictable situation. And they're not sure what to do. And they're asking for help. Sorry, 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 22. Here we go. You've got King Jehoshaphat of Judah and you have King Ahab of Israel. Ahab, historically known as one of the most evil kings, wicked kings, along with his sidekick Jezebel, uh, known to uh, Israel's history. And, but they were facing some formidable opposition in the form of the Arameans. They said, these guys are still occupying our city. We haven't done a thing about it. Will you join me in fighting against these guys? And Jehoshaphat says, uh, of course I'll do that. We're brothers. You know, we're, we're from you know, different kingdoms, Judah and Israel. But they were, they're obviously still connected with one another. And he says here, so King Ahab in verse 6, Jehoshaphat says, sorry, verse 5, then Jehoshaphat added, but first, before we do this, let's find out what the Lord says. Before we say anything, we should find out first what the Lord says. That would be good for me because we're going up against a formidable opponent. So King Ahab summoned his prophets, about 400 of them. And asked them, should I go to war against Ramoth-Gilead or not? And they replied, oh, dude, go right ahead. The Lord will give you a glorious victory. It's all good, man. I was lacing the sarcasm a little bit thick on right there. To help us be able to see, right? Um, They're just telling him what he wants to hear. Those are not the kind of people you want around you when you need to be able to hear what God is saying. But but Jehoshaphat asked, because he's hearing uh, something funky going on in River City, and he says, "Um, isn't there a prophet of the Lord around too? He totally sidesteps these prophets of Ahab. They're like, what are we, chopped liver here or something? We just gave the victory. I would like to ask him the same question. King Ahab replied, There is still one prophet of the Lord, but I hate this guy. He never prophesies anything but bad news for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. You should not talk like that, Jehoshaphat said. Let's hear what he has to say. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Quick, go get Micaiah, son of Imlah. King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah got into their royal robes and were sitting on their thrones waiting for him to come in. When one of Ahab's prophets was prophesying, started prophesying in front of them. One of them, this Zedekiah, he says he made some iron horns and proclaimed, this is what the Lord says, with these horns you will gore them to death. All the other prophets agreed, oh yes, go up there and be, have the victory The Lord will give it to you. Meanwhile, the messenger who went to get Micaiah said to him, Look, all the prophets are promising victory for the king. Be sure that you agree with them and promise success. We've already been talking this thing up. We're going the distance, baby. So we've already got the word. Just bring the same thing. But Micaiah replied, As surely as the Lord lives... I will say only what the Lord tells me. Can you be persuaded by what the crowd is saying? Do you easily go along with the numbers? In worship, it's talking about David going up against Goliath, going up against the Philistines. God's not really into numbers. Jesus starts off with a small band of 12 men that He has plans to take over the entire world with. 
He didn't rally a massive army, get the alliances of, of other nations and, and all that. He said, no, you know what? These 12 guys. We're going to infiltrate. We're going to grow. We're going to expand. I'm going to take these ordinary guys, but they have an ability to hear my voice. Believe me what I say and act on it. What is true faith? What is true faith? What is God truly saying? Am I more dictated to by my feelings? How do I pray? Do we pray our own will? Or do we pray God's will? telling you, on one hand, I think I've learned what faith is. I remember us, our family, standing in the tension of faith between hoping for my father's healing and yet the possibility of his passing. There's a, a friend of mine who shared with me his own father passed away several years before my dad. His dad was standing in faith for healing, which kept him from being open to any talk or conversation or anything other than he was going to be healed. So if there was any preparations for what might be God's will, he was completely closed off to that. Do you know, for the most part, they never got to say goodbye. They never got to have those final conversations. They never got to have any of that because his dad said he'd shut the thing down. Dad, could we talk about, nope, God's going to heal me. I'm so grateful that we got that with Dan. He was willing to live in the tension of God's will. Trusting when we couldn't see or understand. Dad was always telling us, Eric and and different ones, you've got to be able to live with questions. If you can't live with questions, it's not going to go very well. To live with it, to be content with not having all the answers... Otherwise, we end up living with this demand from God. I have to know everything. Well, that would make you God. Proverbs 3, 5-6, we're familiar with this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means a full extending, a full giving of one's heart. Nothing held back, nothing reserved. And then it says, do not depend on your own understanding. We believe what we believe with everything that we've got and we hold it with an open hand at the same time. Next part says, seek His will in all you do and He will direct your paths. God, I'm asking you, would you direct my paths? Well, are you giving everything? Are you holding everything out here? Are you saying, God, direct my paths, but I want to hold on to this. I'm not letting go. Sometimes it's even hard for us to be able to see what exactly we're doing, how we're postured, how we're, are we holding on to, grasping for, or are we actually extended out? Some, we need people in our lives to help. Hey, dude, you're, you're holding on to that a little bit tight. You'll be able to let go. First Peter. First Peter, Peter the Apostle, he's he's writing to people that again are, are facing difficulty, suffering, going through incredible hardship. And he's writing to comfort them. First Peter chapter one. Three through nine. All honor to the to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's by His boundless mercy that God has given us the privilege of being born again. 
This amazing privilege to be born again. Now we live. We've been born again. We've been saved by grace. Now we live from this point. Now we live with a wonderful expectation because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. This is what all the apostles laid their lives on the line for right here. Not that Jesus died, but that Jesus rose again. Every man dies. Every man dies. The question is, can you be resurrected? Are you resurrected? For God has reserved a priceless inheritance for His children. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God, in His mighty power, will protect you until you receive this salvation because you are trusting Him. It will be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead. Oh, there it is again. The joy ahead, even though it's necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. These trials are only to test your faith. How many like tests? One school guy in the back, he's saying, I got it. Yeah. No. You know what? Don't be af- he's saying, don't be afraid of them. I'm glad you raised your hand, man. That's a good boldness right there. I love that. Todd raised his hand too. Yeah. He's the guy who was making announcements. So maybe you got announcements next week. We need another bold guy who's like, I'm willing to take tests. Now listen to this. It's being tested as fire tests and purified gold, purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So what's the point of a test? To hurt us? To kill us? What's the point of testing gold? Taking gold through an exam, in a sense. What do, what do they say? How many times is, is gold purified? Seven times. Does the gold get less valuable or more valuable as a result of going through the testing? More. That's the goal. That we would become more and more like Christ. Able to endure and bear the cross that God would call us to face. And again, that's not, you know, you didn't get your latte or your quad the way that you wanted it to, so now you have to endure the cross. (laughs) Now, a totally different type of cross. And that's why God's Word helps us with perspective. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him even though you've never seen Him. You love Him even though you've never seen Him. Unless Jesus is doing something new today, none of us, none of you have ever seen Jesus with your own eyes. It says you love Him even though you never have. Though you do not see Him, you trust Him. And even now, you have this inexpressible, glorious joy. I love this. You know, you'll notice as I started to get into this, I started to see that, you know, Peter and Paul and Jesus, different ones, whenever they talked about sufferings that were either going to happen or that were happening at the time, he always took their focus and lifted it up. Not necessarily say that geographically heaven is up. Heaven is all around us. It's a different dimension. I don't have time to go into all that. That's I don't even I shouldn't even have said that because it <laughs> trying to unpack all that right now. But he calls them to look forward and to look up. Oftentimes our usual tendency when we're facing whatever we're facing, the difficulties, is to look inward, to focus on the present and to worry. The stress and the stress of life that just rocks our world. And we, we see the physical effects of that on our bodies. People that face stress. And they're, they're facing uh, diseases and chronic stuff that doctors can't even figure out what's going on. Because we don't take these things really truly to heart. Rejoice in the face of these things. Don't start worrying. Don't be anxious about anything anymore. But in all things, by prayer and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Pray about everything. It's not that we don't deal with the present, that we don't fight the good fight, but our future hope must dictate to our present circumstances. 
purpose of a test is to strengthen us, to prove us, to show us where we're truly at in the journey. We can have a a tendency in the face of difficult things to just start throwing cheap shots and hurling, you know, boulders at the devil. Man, the devil's been at me. He's been working on my life. We do a really good job ourselves. We, we really truly don't need the devil's help. Not only that, but he's one personality who is limited to time and space. He can't be multiple areas at once, so the devil can't be working on my life and working on Glenn's life. And I guarantee you, he's playing with guys like Netanyahu, and you know he's trying to work with different heads of state and whatever. He's not working on us. Let's not give him too much credit. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know if there's enough devils you know, in existence that it's just you know, one-on-one. Everybody's assigned a, a demon and... Come on. We can tend to uh, take the responsibility off of us and blame it on some demon thing going on when all he's done is really just wave a carrot maybe once in a while in front of our face. In the face of death and difficulty, temptation... The life to come gives us perspective for how to live this life now. The life to come should not cause us, as they say, to become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. It's supposed to give us a perspective so that we actually become effective and worthwhile in the world. It's not that we're all just walking around just going, oh, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome when we go to heaven. That's true, but it should posture us how we're going to live today. I love what Martin Luther said. He said, what if you knew that Jesus Christ was returning tomorrow? He said, I would plant an oak tree seed. That's perspective. See, the oak trees were what he... I mean, oak tree obviously takes generations to grow to... So he's like, I'm not getting out of here. I'm not going to play, you know, and live like, like, like I'm just, you know, we're exiting and we're just leaving this thing to hell and, and whatever, leave the earth here. He's like, no, we're here to build the kingdom of God. It's going to require Christians of an old breed to be resurrected, to become who God has called us to be in our day. Those without Christ... Those who don't know know Christ, they live to consume as much as they can, living for the moment. A drink up, eat up, do whatever you want to do, because tomorrow we die. There's no life after this life. There's no hope. I, I can't even hardly relate to what that would be like. To not have a hope of what it would of a life to come, expectation. Some of you came to Christ much later in life, and you know what that's like. And and knowing that or being able to imagine what that would be like should provoke us with compassion and love to reach. And help people know of the hope that we have. Those that have been resurrected with Christ, we have the freedom to be spent by Jesus in this life for His glory and His desires. It, it should cause us to, to not hold on to anything. It doesn't mean we don't have anything. That's not what we're talking about. But to not hold on to anything, grasping for these things. Because He says we're aliens in this world. We don't belong to this world. We belong to Jesus. Those things should not have a grasp on us. We should be able to say, Jesus, whatever you want, whatever. Paul, he, he gave us those questions here a couple weeks ago. Would we give everything to God? Would we, would we do anything he told us to do? Would we go anywhere? Those of you who are facing the difficulties and challenges uh, in life, 
you know, I'm sure that there are some here who's like, you know what, things are good. Things are really good. But there's also those who are facing very difficult challenges. I want to look at First Peter. Just First Peter. Just turn over uh, to the second or the second half there of chapter one, verse twenty-one. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. It's the only reason why you trust in God. Jesus did it. And because God raised Christ from the dead and gave Him great glory, your faith and hope can be placed confidently in God. Kind of reminds you of what Paul was talking about to the church at Philippi. Fix your thoughts. And Peter's saying here, they can be placed, your faith and your hope, because you're fighting the good fight, and hope can be placed confidently in God. Now, verse 22, you can have sincere love for each other. Relationships can get really strained, but it's not going to happen without fighting the good fight for the relationships that God has given us that are so important in order to preserve the unity. Now, you can have sincere love for each other as brothers and sisters because you were cleansed from your sins when you accepted the truth of the good news. Cleansed, past tense. Done, done, done. So see to it that you really do. See to it. Make sure. Lock it in. Make sure that you really do love each other intensely with all your hearts. Wow. Allow me to repeat that, Peter says, to make sure you guys really get this. This is so important. For you have been born again. Your new life did not come from earthly parents. Because the life they gave you will end in death. But this new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. His Gospel. And then it says here, as he, I think he's quoting Isaiah here, people are like grass that dies away. Their beauty fades as quickly as the beauty of wildflowers. The grass withers and the flowers fall away, but the Word of God will last forever. What's he doing? He's helping us with perspective in this life. It's short. This life is so short. But especially, you know, when you're Austin's age, it seems like it takes so long. Life is so, you know, you can't wait to get to the point where you're older, more mature, able to handle more responsibility. And then when you get there, you can't believe how fast life goes. Like, boom, you blink and you're 60, 78 years old. And the Word of God, and, and that Word, the Word of God is the good news that was preached to you. So, get rid of all malicious behavior and deceit. Don't just pretend to be good. Don't fake the funk. Be done with hypocrisy and jealousy and backstabbing. Be done with it. You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for this nourishment as a baby cries for milk now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. I want to go to one more story. Go to Daniel. The book of Daniel, chapter 3. You guys doing well? You better be. So, King Nebuchadnezzar, world ruler, uh, most powerful nation on earth, Babylon. The children of Israel are in exile there. I would say that where we are at today as Christians, representing the children of God, who He has called and who He has chosen, His body, His bride, that we we reflect very much where... 
they were at, the people of God were at, in exile, in captivity. In other words, they were not the, the, the big kids on the block. Um, they were under uh, an, an oppression. They were under, they were, um, they were being ruled. And we find ourselves in a situation, we are far from the majority in this nation. But again, God's not after numbers. He's after a people who are going to fight the good fight when life hits the fan. So Nebuchadnezzar, he, you, we are familiar with the story. And there is this massive statue that he creates, golden statue. And he commands everyone in the nation to bow down to this. And this represents uh, whatever it would be the cultural idols of our day. Uh, whatever we're being called to bow down and worship before, to yield, to submit to. And there are three individuals here. And uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they heard the sound of the horn and all the different instruments playing, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. So at the sound of the music, everybody hits the deck. Nobody wants to face this type of persecution. It's not worth it to have to go through this. You know what? I'll bow today and I'll just stand another day. Maybe if I, if I give in today then it will be okay later on. You see, what we find out is that when we bow down, we begin to bow more and more and more and more. We become more submitted to the culture around us. We worship more the idols. Well, I don't really worship them. I just, you know, I just bow down when it's convenient to do so. When the pressure's on, when I'm facing the heat, then I'll just give in this time, but I'm sure it'll be different next time. They chose a different track. So he brings them. Uh, they refuse to bow down. They're standing there in the midst of this huge crowd. And uh, then he, Nebuchadnezzar decides, you know what, I'm going to give you another shot. Give me another, op- give you another opportunity to bow down. All will be well if you bow down. There's going to be peace between us and the culture if we agree to bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 16 replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, man, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. We're not doing this for you. Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. That's a powerful statement. It doesn't even compare, though, to the next one. He goes, they go on, He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Verse 18, but. But. But even... If he doesn't, even if he doesn't save us, even if he doesn't rescue us, your majesty can be sure that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. We will never bow. We believe God will rescue us, but if he doesn't rescue us the way we think he should or the way that we would like him to, if things don't go the way that I want them to go, if, if God's will turns out to be different from how I've been praying, then as Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. See, the same response that was in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where did they get that? That was the Spirit of Christ. That was the response of Jesus. That was perspective. Man, you're going to have to bring it on because it doesn't matter what it looks like. We're not going to bow down. There is a faith intention 
We often think think of either or only to find out that God works in the fullness of both and. I wondered if the guys could come up. And uh, I've just asked them today. I want to. I want to. I want to finish just giving us an opportunity to respond to the Lord in faith. Probably for some of you, a real faith intention. I mean, a real tension. What in the world am I going to do right now in this situation? I I can't see the forest from the trees. God is 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 desiring. I believe. I I believe that that it, it is a a true statement that He is looking for an old breed. The the kind of people that He originally put. His Spirit in. Resurrected them to His call and His purpose in their life. That a people that face the future with courage. Facing the future with courage. Because they're looking up. They're seeing Jesus they're seeing the life to come and they're they're able to as a result of what they see be spent completely in this life i think we can hear if holy spirit is speaking to us if we're hearing that he this is not just nice little talk be a nice little christian and just you know endure and and put up with stuff and whatever no he's calling us to respond Provide answers for our world. I'm not talking about changing the whole world. I'm talking about being an impact, letting God impact your little world, your piece of the world through your life. Can we stand? I want to take a posture of fighting, fighting from a place of grace. Not striving for something, but fighting this good fight. Wherever you are, I would just like you to begin to respond to Him. Sometimes we can, you know, just we're waiting for somebody to do something for us or or make it happen. But if you just begin to respond to Him, God, what are you saying to me? How can I become part of that old breed? Courageous, bold in the face of. That I believe, God, that You're going to rescue, but if You don't, that type right there, if You don't, still, we were going to sing this song before Uh, At the end, we didn't end up getting to it. It is well with my soul. What a statement. The man who wrote this song, Horatio Spafford, lived in Chicago. Very, very successful businessman. Had everything going for him. Great family. He lived during the Great Chicago Fire during the 1860s, worked for the freedom for slaves and uh, Underground Railroad, different things like that. Huge fire that took out. His son died during that time, not in the fire, but he lost his his five-year-old son. Passed away from uh, some sort of fever. They felt like God was calling them to go to England do some different things over there, sent his wife and four girls, I believe, on ahead. At the last second, he was going to go, and the last second, he there were some business things, and he said, you guys go on ahead, I don't want to mess up the trip, and then he would follow a few days later. Got out into the ocean, 
they were hit by another ship, big metal English ship, and the whole ship went down. I think only 80 of the 100 and whatever people uh, died out there. His wife had their little baby in her arms in the water. She was hit violently by debris. She was so bruised and mangled, but it just tore the baby from her arms. She lost her little baby. The other girls, the lifeboats were so full, they weren't able to make it on, and all of his children died in that horrible situation. His wife communicated with him from England. All is lost. The girls, your daughters are dead. I'm the only one who has survived. They took a trip and it said that when they got to the point where the crash happened and his daughters lost, he penned this song, It Is Well With My Soul. Dang. That's grit. That is courage in the face of whatever. And and he says here, when peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, you can see the whole imagery there. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, through trials should come, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And the Lord haste the day when my face shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall be, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. After his wife was rescued, one of the ministers that was traveling with them remembered hearing Anna say as she watched her daughters drown, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. She was utterly devastated. Many of the survivors watched Anna closely, fearing she might try to take her own life. In her grief and despair, Anna heard a voice, soft voice speaking to her, You were saved for a purpose. It was then Anna remembered something a friend had once said. It's easy to be grateful and good when you have so much, but take care that you are not a fair-weather friend of God. I want us to hear. I want us to see. I want us to see our lives in light of Scripture. light of Christ. Just take a few minutes here.